All right. Man, it is a joy to be back with you guys. How many of you enjoyed a week of getting to bless your neighbors last week? Just me? Oh, I love it. There you go. No, good 4th of July celebrations, getting to love on our neighbors. Um, hey, one piece of, uh, of house communication here is if, you, if you've heard us announcing we've had some party in the parks going on, this week we were supposed to have one tonight, um, and because of the record highs that it's going to be 107, we decided let's not force heat stroke on anyone. I uh, want to encourage you, hang out with your family. If your life group usually meets on Sunday, go to your life group. Uh, we actually have a youth event going on. The youth are going bowling. So if you're in high school or feel like a high schooler at heart, uh, you should go bowling with our youth. Uh, but there's so many good things going on. And I'm excited to bring you our second to last week of our Ephesians series today. And as we've been doing each and every week of this series, we're going to have a reading from the Word of God. So I'm going to welcome Declan Fleming on up. Can you stand with us as we read the Word of God together? All right. We're re- yes? Good. We're reading Ephesians 5:15 through 6, 8. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever, ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of this body, therefore a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, 
rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality in him. Word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Declan. You guys can take a seat. Man, what a rich chunk of scripture there. In fact, I think it's so fitting that I got the scripture on family uh, because just last night I was in Dallas, Texas celebrating my brother-in-law. I think I've got a picture up here. Uh, getting engaged to be married, the last sibling to be, maybe we don't have a picture, that's okay. You can look at it on my iPhone uh, after the service, be glad to show you. Uh, Everyone go follow me on social media, there we go. Uh, Getting engaged, that's Nick in the middle and his now fiance, Kelsey. Um, And not only that, but as you may have seen in the picture, Emily is also pregnant. We're expecting our first child in the fall. So to me, this passage of scripture feels more relevant than it ever has, right? Marriages all around, family growing, and I'm so excited to get to preach out of it today. But how many of us, if we're being honest, when we, when we read a passage like this, we can kind of skim read based on what season of life we're in. I can think of not too many years ago where I read through Ephesians 5 and 6, and the only part I actually read was the three or four verses on children, obey your parents, right? I just kind of skimmed through. I'm like, well, I'm not married. I don't really need to read that part. And, you know, I'm not a bondservant or a master, so I definitely don't need to read that, right? That maybe you're holier than me and you don't do that. But I think so often when we read the Bible, we can read it that way. We can read it with, oh, this applies to me or it doesn't, but my heart for today is that we wouldn't treat the Bible that way. That today, at least, we can go through the Word and say, man, out of Ephesians 5 and 6, what treasures can we get for our hearts? That it's not just for newlyweds. This isn't just uh, a verse to be read at your wedding. This isn't just a verse to, to read at your kids when they're not obeying you, right? But this is a verse for all of us to gain good instruction. In fact, if you've been with us this summer. We've been going through Ephesians, and we've been talking about how Ephesians is kind of broken into two parts, that the first half is Paul's instructions for the church in Ephesus. He's saying, hey, this is what a healthy house looks like. This is what it looks like to run a healthy church, to live as the church together. And then he turns a corner, and and you've heard Chris Ott's preaching about this the last few weeks, that he turns a corner and says, now live a transformed life. You as an individual should live this way, and I believe that as he comes into the back half of Ephesians 5, that Paul is saying, Now you've been given good things. Do this, don't do this, act this way, and if you do that, it'll lead to transformation. And I believe that Ephesians 5, this part that we've been reading together, is him saying, If you've been transformed, your life will evidence these things. In fact, we read the first verse we read together, Ephesians 5:15. He says, Look carefully then how you walk. I think it's so important that we take that seriously, that Paul is saying, look, you've been transformed. There's something that's been happening to you. Now assess your life. Pay attention to how you live. Are you living out the values that we've been hearing about or being taught on? And I think that specifically Paul is saying, look, one way that you can see the evidence of this transformation is through relationships. You see, all throughout the Word of God, God uses one specific analogy, one word picture to describe heaven more than any other, and it's the picture of a family. If you go back to Genesis 1, 
the very first chapter of the Bible, God creates the world. He creates beauty and majesty. He creates animal. He, cre- he splits light and dark and heavens and, and earth. And he creates all of these things. But only one thing did he create to reflect his image, and that was the family unit. He only created one thing that would have dominion over everything else, and that was a family unit. You see, God's been from the very start saying, look, I want heaven to be evidenced on earth, and I want it to look like family. And Paul does the same thing as he starts to describe a transformed life and what it looks like. In Ephesians 5.32, Paul says this, this mystery, referring to marriage and family, is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul's saying this, look, this mystery of transformed life, the way of knowing, am I really living how Christ has called me to, is evidenced in the way you live in your relationships and whether they look like heaven. And today, what I want us to do together is I want us to read through Ephesians 5 and 6 and look at Paul's three assertions on relationships. That Paul says a lot of specific things you should do, you shouldn't do, the way you should live, the way you shouldn't live. But he he gives three assertions that I'm going to call his rules of relationships. He gives three things. And as before we jump into the specific ones, I've been thinking about this verse as I've been writing this sermon. It comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And you've probably heard it before if you've gone to church for a while. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, and for righteousness, that the follower of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You see, we could go through this passage, and I could pause each step and just speak to the husbands, then just speak to the wives, then just speak to the children, then just speak to employers and employees, and I could go through it that way. But my heart is that we can take, and honestly, some of you may like it that way better because you would know when to be on your phone and when to not be on your phone. You'd be like, okay, I can tune out the second half of the message because marriages was first, and now I'm good. But right, but instead, I want us to take the truth from Second Timothy that all Scripture is good for us, that all scripture can be encouraging and train us into righteousness. And I believe these passages want to teach us to walk like Christ. Now, before some of you, some of you email me and say, but yes, there are specific instructions. I do know that. I know there are specific instructions for how to be a child and how to be a husband. And we're going to hit on some of those, but here's my encouragement to you is that each time I get up here with a microphone, my goal is to give you just enough of this that you run home wanting to read more. And that's why I encourage you, bring a paper Bible. Bring what you're going to use in your time with God to church. Because we've got these beautiful screens that sometimes don't work. They come up behind me that put the words in giant, like 150-point font. But you're not going to have that in your quiet time. And if you do, what a dope quiet time spot. That's so sick. I'd like to spend time with God there. Uh, But I want to encourage you, man, use your Bibles. If something in this scripture, as Declan was reading it, stuck out to you, do a study on it this week. Spend time with God. Even if it's just five, ten minutes reading your Bible, it's going to be so, so good for you. So there's my qualifier. Bring your Bible. Read the Bible at home. But no matter the season of life, we've all got relationships, and I want us to dive into looking at what this looks like in our relationships, because I know coming in today, each one of us could have a different relational strain that we're feeling. Maybe for you, your marriage has been a challenge, that it feels like I am just cohabitating with my spouse right now for the sake of my kids graduating high school, 
right? It's like, I, we have not taken care of our marriage for years, but man, we just want to get our kids through high school, so we're making it work. Maybe for you, it's that you, you need some advice on, on how to honor your, your, uh, your boss at work or honor a coworker, or honor someone that you're in life with that's really challenging to you. Maybe for you, it's really hard to obey and honor your family because they weren't there for you when life got hard, right? We all have different relational tensions that we're going to bring into this. And my heart today is that we pull truths from Ephesians 5 and 6 to instruct as as uh, Timothy said, to instruct all of us towards righteousness. So we're going to jump into a couple of these rules of relationship. And the first one, we're not going to read all of Ephesians 5 and 6 again, but the first one comes from Ephesians 5.21, a verse that says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What a loaded sentence. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ultimately, Paul is setting up his talk that he's going to give about marriages, saying, hey, I'm going to give specific instructions, but get this first. Learn to submit to each other. Learn how to submit unto each other. And I think a lot of times when we hear this verse, I know for years when I heard this verse, I thought, man, what a bummer. Like, what? I have to submit to someone else. I don't just get to do what I want to do all the time. Look at the outcome that Paul describes to a relationship that walks in mutual submission. Here's how the husband is described. He looks like Christ and lives sacrificially for his wife. I hope that those two things will be said about me one day. The wife is described as this, in splendor, holy, without spot or blemish. I think my wife would want to be described that way as well. I'm not sure about you, but I think that even though sometimes we can think, ah, oh, I don't know about this mutual submission thing, the outcome is such the desire of our hearts. And I want my relationships to look that way. Now, before I lose you single people, you high schoolers, you dating folk, I think that this invitation of mutual submission is for all of us. It's for each and every one of us. And I think a lot of times when we picture this, maybe this interaction comes to mind. You're thinking of the interaction where you were trying to pick a dinner location this week, and you said, so where do you want to go to eat? And the person next to you said, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know, where do you want to go eat? And the other person says, oh, well, you know, like, I don't really mind. Why don't you pick where you want to eat? And here's what I want to say about that. A lot of us, that is our picture of mutual submission. And I'm going to say right now, that is mutual apathy, not mutual submission, all right? And I can stand up here and say that, this is my public confession, because I do that all the time, right? It's like, oh, I'm being biblical, submitting to, you know, those around me by not saying that. And here's what I want to say about mutual submission, that it's not a giving up of your opinions, but it's a surrendering of your will out of love for someone else. Let me say that again. It's not saying I don't have opinions anymore in life. It's not saying I, I don't like this or I do like this. He, Paul is not calling us to give up all opinions. He's saying, I want you to take your will, the thing that you desire, and out of love, place it under someone else's. That's mutual submission in a nutshell. And that's Paul's first rule of relationships. Now, again, if we're saying that God has used family to paint an easy picture for us to see what heaven looks like and vice versa, then what's a heavenly picture of mutual submission? As I was writing this sermon, I couldn't help but think of a beautiful story of mutual submission. It's the picture of Jesus in the garden. If you've read through the Gospels before, you know this story, and we won't have the time to read it all today, but again, 
bookmark it, read it in your time with God this week. But in Luke twenty two forty two, we read this, that Jesus has gone to pray, that he has this moment where he knows that his time has come to be sacrificed once and for all for our sin. And this agony is coming up inside of him. He's got this, this agony of, I know that my time is coming when I will be killed and murdered, and I'm not sure I really want to do that. And we see him praying with his disciples in a beautiful passage of scripture. And in Luke twenty two forty two, we read Jesus saying this, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What a beautiful, beautiful prayer that Jesus prays. And in that one prayer, he teaches us the picture of mutual submission. You see, he looks at his father in prayer and says, Father, I desire not to do this. However, I submit my will under yours. I'm going to allow your will to be greater than mine at this time. What a beautiful picture. And the question comes to us of, well, what does this look like for me? What does it look like for me to live out Paul's first rule of transformation? How do I know if I'm, if I'm really living out the transformation that Ephesians has been talking about? I would say, husbands, maybe it looks like you watching less sports and entertainment and getting more face-to-face time with your wife. Maybe it's saying, hey, I know Austin FC is on a tear right now, 3-0 and on the road, top of the Western Conference, right? We got some Austin FC fans in the house. I'm a little bit excited for how much better we are this year than we were last year. Shout out. Uh, but maybe husbands are saying, okay, I'm going to value face-to-face time with my wife tonight instead. That's submitting your will under hers. Wives, maybe for you, it's picking a barbecue restaurant instead of Flower Child for date night this week. Now, again, public confession number two, I did eat at Flower Child last night, and it was my choice. So (laughs) I don't know what that says about me, but uh, do what you will with that. Uh, And I know I'm making light about mutual submission a little bit, but I really believe that it shouldn't just be limited to life-changing scenarios. Right? We should be able to test this, to practice this discipline in the simple places so that when the challenge of our Garden of Gethsemane moment comes, we're ready to submit to the people around us. And we're not trying for the first time when the hardship comes. Now, what about for those of us in the room who maybe aren't married or engaged or moving that way with dating? Maybe it's giving your roommate the better room in the house when you renew your lease. Right? I mean, it's a, it's a real thing. And, and again, maybe to you, this seems silly. Maybe to you, you're like, well, it's not really that big of a deal to do that. Or maybe to you, it is a really big deal. You're like, yeah, but I want the master. I want the bigger bathroom, right? I'm paying more rent so that I can have the master, right? Maybe that's what you're going through. But here's the deal. If that's hard for you, maybe it's a sign that your transformation isn't complete yet. Husbands, if it's hard for you to lay down your preference to what you want to watch on TV, to spend 30 minutes with your wife before bed, maybe that's a sign that your transformation's not there yet. That you still have a little bit of work that Paul wants to encourage us into. Again, relationships are a picture of our transformation being worked out. It's a picture of our renewal happening. And I love how 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. It says, And we all with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, our goal is to be transformed to look like Christ. 
And when that becomes our goal, to look like Christ in our relationships, then mutual submission falls in line. And we're able to say, I can honor your desire. I can honor your will because I want to look like Christ in the end. And I think one thing that I love about being a disciple of Jesus is that the beauty of being a disciple is when we do something like Christ, we become more like Christ. And when we become more like Christ, it becomes easier to do something that looks like Christ. It's the beautiful thing that God illustrated in relationship with him, that as we take one step towards looking more like him, it actually makes the next step easier to look more like him. It's a part of our relationships driving us to look more like Christ. Now we can spend the rest of the year talking about marriage and mutual submission. And I would encourage you, we've got an amazing marriage ministry being put on by Ray Perea. He's not here right now. He's at the North Campus. Jump into that. If you've got more questions, read your Bible yourself. But I want to spend a little bit of time looking at the rest of Ephesians 5 and 6 together and check out rule number two that Paul gives us from Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. It says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Now this scripture, like all, all you parents in the room are like nudging your children as I read that. Like, hey, now's the time to get off your phone. What I love about this scripture is there is nuance. And here's the deal. I think we could blow through that, but I, I want to hit on it because I think I've met with a lot of people in the room. And I know of a lot of people that go through life and, and you, you weren't raised by godly parents. Now, I was privileged enough, and I'm so thankful for the godly heritage that I was raised with two Christ-fearing parents who raised me in the church in a healthy way, and I have little to few childhood pains that I associate with my parents. But I know that that's probably not the case for many of you in the room. And the question you may ask is, do I really need to obey my parents? That there's times when they ask me to do things that go against the Bible or against the will of God. And here's what I'll say, that in this two verses of Scripture, Paul gives us two commands. He says, obey and honor. And here's the beauty of what Paul did, is that in the first command, he gives a qualifier. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. This little phrase, in the Lord. And I believe that when Paul wrote this, he did it in discernment. Knowing that, hey, there's going to be times when it's hard to obey, but as long as we can remain in the will of God, we are to obey those in authority over us. And some of us have a hard time with this one. Some of us are like, I just want to obey myself and my will and my desires. And maybe you would never say that out loud, but if you were in a room by yourself, you would admit that. I just want to do what I want to do, but we've got to remember that God uses family as a training ground for heaven. He's using it as a place for us to get trained up. Therefore, the command to obey my parents isn't simply that I do what Danny and Melissa Weibel said to do. It's not about that I finish my broccoli, that I do the right thing as a kid. It's more, am I learning how to obey my earthly parents so when my spiritual heavenly father asks me to do something, it's motivated from the same place of obedience. That's what he's getting at. So the first one comes with a qualifier. However, I love that Paul does not qualify the second commandment. He says, however, the second command is to honor your parents. And I believe, and maybe this is a hot take, that this is one of the most sinned against scriptures in the whole word of God. That we don't honor our parents. 
And I know that all of us have different stories. We've all got different backgrounds. But if you choose to associate as a disciple of Christ, this one's not optional. You've got to honor your parents. That's why we say around here all the time, honor is our language. Now, again, we could hone in, and at most, this would affect our relationship with two people, your mom and your dad. But I want us to take the principle of this and stretch it out, all right? What does it look like to honor and obey those in authority in our lives? I, I would say a few simple ones. Pay your taxes. Jesus taught on that. If you'd like to go read, he talks a little bit more about that. Honor your boss. Don't talk bad behind her back. Right? How about this? This one's revolutionary. Honor a politician that you don't like. I'm pushing on some buttons here, but here's the deal. To be a disciple of Christ means to look different than the world, so it's not okay to screenshot what someone else said ripping the politician. I'm going there because we are called to be a people of honor, and we are called to look different than the world around us, and unfortunately, honor has fallen out of style. It's no longer popular to honor. It's more popular to cut down at the knees but what I want to say is that if you are a transformed follower of Jesus, honor will flow from your mouth and it will evidence your transformation. And I'm not saying that it will be easy. Sometimes those honoring statements will be hard. It'll be a challenge. You'll have to really think about how to say it and how to get the words out and how to go to Christmas and honor your family, even though you had a hard 12 years with them where you didn't talk or something, right? It's going to be challenging. But again, this is training ground for us to learn how to obey and honor our Heavenly Father. It's training ground to say, okay, when life gets hard, you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to undercut God, but I'm going to honor Him as faithful. Before we get too long on that, I want to jump into Paul's third rule here. Rule three finds itself in Ephesians 6, 5, and 7. And it says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not as to man. Paul's third rule on relationships is don't be a people pleaser, please God. He said, you know, we so often, and I think I so often can do this, Paul gives us good instruction, and so often we can take good instruction, and then we can do it for the wrong motive, right? We can take something that was like so good, but I love Paul basically says, do the will of God and do it though it's for God. And I think a lot of times I can get those out of order. I can say, you know what, I'm going to do the will of God because I know it's right, but I'm going to do it to make my boss happy. I'm going to do it to make my, my life group leader think more highly of me. I'm going to do it to make sure I'm on the good side of my roommates, right? We can get these rules all jumbled up. And I love how Paul doesn't just address this to the servants. He doesn't just address this to the masters. He says, across the board, we're to do all as though we're pleasing God. And here's Paul's warning under rule three. If you spend your life always in pursuit of your boss's approval, of the praise of your peers— or rewards on earth, then ultimately one day you'll, you'll realize that you missed out on the one thing you were made for. Now it's to please your heavenly father. It was to please your father. Again, families on earth are a picture of our family in heaven. That his desire of our relationships on earth is to teach us, Lord, I just want to please you. I want to work as though 
it's to you. So maybe the great invitation for relationship is to please our Father in all. So maybe husbands and wives, it means submitting to each other, not because your pastor told you to or because Ephesians told you to, but because you want to please God in your relationship. Roommates, maybe it looks down laying down your will for your, for your roommates, not to please them, not to gain more favor so that when you ask a pay, uh, to pay rent late that they're going to have your back, right? Not for any of that, but for the sake of pleasing your father. Children, employees, citizens, it means obeying and honoring those above us, not to garner favor in the public eye, but to honor our father in the secret place. Because that's what we're made for, to please God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 paints it so beautifully. It says, so whether you're at home, meaning heaven, or away, that would be here on earth, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that one day we can receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good, for, yeah, for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, relationships are grounds for us to try out our transformation. It's a place for us to watch, but ultimately there's going to be one day when we get to heaven and all of our life will play out before us. We'll see the choices we made. We'll see the things that we did or didn't do, the things that we said yes and no to, and that will be the ultimate place where we see how our transformation was lived out. We'll see how we lived in our time on earth. And today my hope is that Paul's rules of relationships would give us a measuring stick that we'd be able to say, look, I'm not there yet. I'm not at the place of transformation I want to be at yet, but one day I'm going to sit before Jesus and I'm going to look more like him then than I did now. It's a check-in on our transformation. So maybe you came in today and you don't find yourself submitting to your husband or wife or to those around you you're in relationship or to your life group or to those that you're walking with. It's a check for you. Let's walk in that transformation. Maybe you realized, man, it's, it's harder to obey my boss than I thought it was going to be. And maybe that's actually a symptom that it's harder to obey God than I thought it was going to be. And I need to learn that discipline of obeying God. Because your heart is still on a journey of yielding itself to God. And I think a lot of times you can hear a message like this. And I know even as I was writing this all throughout the last couple of weeks, my heart kept breaking at places where I was like, oh, I didn't submit to Emily today. Ah, oh, I chose my will over hers. Oh, I didn't honor that person. Ah, oh, I spoke behind that person's back. Oh, Lord, I did that to gain favor with my coworkers. And I can, I can be so heartbroken, but again, I think the beauty about discipleship to Jesus is that it's relational. And recently I've, I've been doing my best to try to imagine the life that the disciples lived as they lived with Jesus. And one thing that I has just stuck in my mind as I've imagined this is that all throughout the Bible, if you read the Gospels, the disciples do boneheaded things all the time, right? They, you see people chopping off people's ears, people like trying to cast out demons and they can't do it. You know, people like bragging that they did cast out demons and they're being rebuked for bragging. It's like all throughout we see people just dropping balls, missing it. But what I love is the image of those who were walking with Jesus— had a bad day. They went to sleep, and they woke up next to their teacher again. And the beauty of following Jesus is that tomorrow, we get to wake up and say, Jesus, 
Yesterday, I missed it a little bit. Can I walk a little bit closer to you today? Can I follow a little bit closer and figure out how to honor those around me a little bit more? Can I learn how to walk in this relationship that you've taught me into? And I was recently, if you know, my wife and I had a month off this summer to just rest and and spend time with our family, and it was so good. Get ready for our little man coming in the fall. And during our time off, we read a book that quite a few people recommended. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I'm not a big book recommender, so you know if I do, shout out. Uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Many of you may have heard it before, but we were actually listening to it as an audiobook before bed one night, and we got to the end of a chapter, and I heard this reading, and I went to bed and could not shake this chapter, the end of the chapter that was being read. And I want to read, it's maybe six or seven sentences, and I want to read it to you. He says this, I say we bring back the quiet time. Rock it like it's 1999. Here's to tomorrow morning, six o'clock. Coffee, the chair by the window, the window by the tree. Time to breathe, a psalm and a story from the gospels. Hearing the Father's voice, pouring out my own. Or just sitting, resting. Maybe I'll hear a word from God that'll alter my destiny. Maybe I'll just process my anger over something that's bothering me. Maybe I'll feel my mind settle like untouched water. Maybe my mind will ricochet from thought to thought and never come to rest. If so, that's fine. I'll be back, same time tomorrow, starting my day in the quiet place. And here's what I love about that passage of the book. More often than not, my mind ricochets. More often than not, I go to bed wishing I had looked more like Christ than I did that day. And the beauty is that when our heart longs to be transformed, we're actually living out our destiny to please God. When our heart sees our brokenness, it's a part of us saying, I just want to please God. In fact, he longs for us to be at that place. Will you guys stand with me? I don't know what kind of relational tensions you came in with today. I don't know if you came in with a broken marriage. Maybe you came in with a hurting relationship with your child. I don't know what relationship challenge you walked in with today. But I know that relationships can be hard. And I know that a lot of times what relationships can do is they can show us when we're not there yet when we've still got a little bit of refining to look more like Christ. Dads, maybe right now you're feeling the the weight or the shame of blowing up on your kids last week, letting your temper out. Maybe some of us in the room feel like, man, I just don't know if I could really ever honor my parents. I don't know that I could do these challenges of Paul. I want to read Psalm 145, 8 through 10 over us. And then we're just going to take some time to worship because ultimately our heart is to please the Father. Verse 8 says this, The Lord is gracious and merciful. Thank you, Lord. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Thank you, Lord, that you're not angry with our progress towards you, but you're abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. Not to those who are perfect. You're good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you.
Amen. We're going to take some time and worship, and I want to encourage you that if we can get rule number three right, the others will fall in line. If we can aim to please our Father, then the rest will fall in line. So let's do that now by worshiping Him.